Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Former Congressman David Jolly and Patrick Murphy, authors of the new book, A Divided Union, Structural Challenges to Bipartisanship in America. The book was just released yesterday. David, Patrick, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks for having hey, us. Good to be with you, Ryan. All right, let me start with how the book came together and what you're trying to accomplish with it. I'll go to you, David, first, and then I'll go to Patrick. Look, Patrick and I had similar experiences in Congress. Uh, He was elected as a Democrat in a Republican-leaning district, beating Alan West. I was elected as a Republican in a district Obama had won twice. And the truth is only about 20 to 30 members of Congress actually have that dynamic, that electoral dynamic. 90% of the Congress is otherwise in very safe seats. And so the pressure points are different. And look, Patrick and I think a competitive seat uh, makes for more accountable government, more responsive uh, representation of a more diverse community. And so what we did with this, it's a textbook. Before everybody rushes to Amazon, it's a textbook. still (laughs) interesting to many, but hopefully it will be in colleges across the country. You know, Patrick and I spent two years visiting college campuses, uh, kind of um, pulling the curtain back on some of the structural challenges to bipartisanship. You know, we often talk about gerrymandering and primaries and money and, and the media. And at the end of the day, what Patrick and I are suggesting is we're never going to see political behavior change until we change the incentive structure to reward bipartisanship. Right now, all the incentives are towards partisanship, and so that's the behavior we see. And Patrick, your motivation for being part of this book and taking a look at these structural challenges that we face here in America. Yeah, you know, David and I, like so many members of Congress on you know, both sides of the aisle, go uh, with the intent to make a difference, right, to really make a big change in our community and in the country. And you get there and you realize pretty quickly that there are fundamental problems uh, with uh, D.C., uh, with our democracy right now. And unless you really fix these fundamentals that we outline in the book, like the gerrymandering that David alluded to, uh, like the extreme amount of money that we have, uh, like the ultra-partisan media that we have, excluding you, of course, Ryan, um, (laughs) the the cameras in the committee rooms – uh, you know, all these different things that we outline, if you don't fix those fundamentals, we're really not going to have a true debate on immigration or on health care or on the debt or the future of work or, you know, pick an issue. It's become almost uh, an exercise in polling to see how it polls best. And then the members of, of, of Congress fall in line like sheep to do what they think is going to get them reelected. It's not truly what's best policy. And until we pull that curtain back, you know, we, we are concerned that uh, voters and, and especially future voters, the, you know, the folks are really trying to get to in this textbook, the you know, students of today, uh, you know, hopefully they're the ones that can really make some of these changes, uh, need to understand that these fundamental problems weren't necessarily intended uh, by our founders. So let's get to work on addressing them, understanding them, 
we outline a few solutions. We're not trying to, you know, presume that we're, you know, got all the solutions, but hey, here's a couple ideas. Uh, but you at least need to know where you're starting from. So that's what we, uh, what we tried to outline in the book. I'm joined by former Congressman David Jelly and Patrick Murphy, authors of the new book, A Divided Union, Structural Challenges to Bipartisanship in America. It was just released yesterday. You know, one thing that I've talked a lot about on this show, I brought it up with several guests and I've done monologues on it. I always wondered following 9-11 if in these times this country would be able to come together like we did after that tragic event. And I think, unfortunately, with this pandemic, this would be the type of moment where you would think we would see that, but we're not. And for me, that's obviously discouraging. And I think this plays right into some of what you're addressing in this book and talking about, you know, if we don't start to tackle these structural challenges that lead to the divides that we're seeing in this country, uh, you know, this is a big challenge right now. This is a big problem that we're facing, a once in a generation type issue. And it feels like part of the reason we're not meeting the moment is because of all of this, what you guys are talking about. David, I'll let you respond to that first. Yeah, Ryan, I, I couldn't agree more with you. What COVID has shown us is that it's more than just our politics that are divided, it's now a nation that's divided. And look, it, Regardless of any of the structural mechanisms throughout history, there have been leaders that have used the bully pulpit to either try to unite or to divide. And I'm not isolating just the president in this case. There are leaders on both sides of the aisle who use the political bully pulpit uh, in different ways, and many choose to divide. But I believe the reason why is because we're now a generation into this reward structure for partisanship. Mm -hmm. And so we find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic, what should be a national emergency, where we're not seeing the rally around the flag effect that political scientists often observe in moments of national crisis. In fact, we're seeing the divide be exacerbated. And, you know, a good example of, of what we mean by these structural problems and how they've embedded partisanship into our politics, you know, a lot of people say, hey, I think we need term limits to fix all this. Well, we could show you case after case after case that if we have a system of partisan gerrymandered districts and closed primaries controlled by hyperpartisan money, mm -hmm. term limits do nothing. If anything, they make it more partisanship uh, or, or sorry, more partisan. You know, if you take an AOC who replaced Joe Crowley, term limits didn't solve the partisanship crisis. If you take a Matt Gates and the panhandle, bringing in a fresh voice like Matt didn't solve partisanship. In each case, it made partisanship even more polarized and more rewarded in today's system, which, which leads us to this moment. We don't have a generation of leaders that have come of age in an era of cross-partisan unity. And I, I think it's very intriguing looking at the Biden-Trump race that Biden's closing message is actually around this unity theme that we haven't heard in many years in our politics. Yeah, there really just isn't that incentive structure for bipartisanship at the moment. Patrick, your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, Brian, you know, you, you outlined it well, and you know, I've said that in, in passing several times, as has David, that we sometimes fear that it takes a national uh, disaster like a 9-11 type event to reunite the country only for a few months to get something done. 
And that's terrible, but that's what our democracy has become. And, you know, we can all look at what's happened, you know, recently with this pandemic. Uh, and it's probably only divided us on things so simple mm-hmm. as masks, right? Um, so you wonder if, you know, what kind of event does it really, you know, take going forward uh, for that for that to happen? And uh, that's no way to govern. That's no way to, to be the leader of the free world is hoping there's a, or, you know, hoping you have change after some sort of an event. And, uh you know, like we're we're saying here, it, it's the incentive structure that's so you know bad here. And and just to take David's first point one step further for for the listeners, um, as he said, about ninety percent of congressional districts are predetermined, right? They will be Republican or they will be Democratic across our country. The average turnout in congressional districts in a primary is around twelve percent. So you've got twelve percent of the country determining ninety percent of your members of Congress. Mm-hmm. When you get to office, you realize you want to get reelected, right? You're like everybody else that wants to keep their job. So how do you get reelected? You appeal to that same 12%. Well, who are those 12%? You can identify them uh, based on their social media, their magazine preferences, when you know where they were born, et cetera, and come up with a pretty good you know, sense of the issues that they care about and target them specifically with a direct message that might be different from the neighbor. And so you're seeing members of Congress that are doing everything just to appeal to that 12% to get them reelected. And the incentive then is for that 12% not to actually make a deal, make a compromise, and move the country forward. Let's talk about some of the issues that you tackle in this book. Again, I'm speaking with former Congressman David Jolly and Patrick Murphy about their new book, A Divided Union, Structural Challenges to Bipartisanship in America. And, and the big topic here. Uh, among others, is gerrymandering of political districts, basically catering these districts to one party or another. Both political parties do this. I think one of the big questions is, what would be the model with which we redraw some of these districts and fix these issues? And I know there's been a lot of debate, and there doesn't seem to be a perfect solution. Talk a little bit about that. I'll start with you, David. Yeah, I love that question, Ryan, because the context of this is very important. We are in an era, the last 10 to 20 years, of some real aggressive experimenting with what's called democracy reform, electoral reform. Just in Florida, voters will remember that the Fair Districts Amendment passed that required congressional districts to be geographically compact. That's why I'm not in office anymore. I was one of those districts (laughs) that had been overly gerrymandered by Republicans, and voters spoke out and said, look, we want geography to be a fairness test. Uh, In Arizona, voters said, we want to take drawing the lines out of the hands of politicians. They created an independent commission. Uh, With primaries, you see a top two system in California, and voters in Florida November 3rd get to decide if they want an open primary top two system. Maine has ranked choice voting. All of these initiatives are voter led. And and that's the real power we have and what we hope the book speaks to. I'll tell you, if I had a magic wand, here's what I would love to see, Ryan. No state has really done this, which is require that district lines for your congressional seats or your state legislative seats be drawn as electorally competitive as possible meaning draw as many 50-50 districts within your state as possible. That may mean that geography does not, does not look as compact as Florida voters currently want. They want a, a fairness test based on geography. But imagine if fairness was electoral competitiveness and all your members of Congress had to run for their lives every two years and prove to more people than they do today that they're worth being reelected. 
And Patrick, I think there was this notion that with technology, there's an algorithm that could maybe figure it all out, but that doesn't really seem to be the case either. It's just a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> well, you know, technology hasn't uh, done a very good job of finding its way into government yet. Uh, we're, we're very hesitant and, and untrusting, and, and perhaps like rightfully so with the constant hacking attempts right on on the uh, electoral process. Um, but yes, yeah, some states are experimenting with you know using the math that and the algorithms that have created these ultra partisan districts to instead create districts that are fairly balanced that are focused on creating districts like David just outlined that are more balanced between Republicans, Democrats, and independents, and wherever the lines fall, they fall. But the idea is you've got more members with the intent to get to the to, to a compromise to solve problems where it's a broader base of voters voting for them. Right? That doesn't mean they're giving up their principles. That means they're finding real solutions to problems. Uh, and, and that's something David always talks about. It's not about you know giving up your your, your morals and, and and compromising on every issue. Uh, it, it's yeah, it, it's well beyond that. And so there are you know of course plenty of smart people that could design these districts to do that. Uh, but it's got to be uh, you know the, the people's will to kind of push those initiatives over the over the edge in so many of these states. I'm joined by former Congressman David Jolly and Patrick Murphy here on PM Tampa Bay. They are the authors of the new book, A Divided Union, Structural Challenges to Bipartisanship in America, The Polarization of the Media. Let me turn to you, Patrick, first on this, mainly because you know I don't want to keep going to the former Republican first and show some kind of uh, <laughs> you know tilt here. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be the fair media. Um, the polarization of <laughs> the polarization of the media. What are you looking to change? I mean, there's so many things you could look at, but but what do you think, big picture wise, would potentially uh, be impactful that could that could change the media landscape? in a positive way. And I appreciate you giving me the hard one first on this one. <laughs> because this probably is, you know, truly the hardest one, you know, constitutionally to, to solve. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously with, with freedom of speech, uh, this is very tricky, but just big picture, if you think back, you know, 30 years ago, um, there was, there was a, a smaller, uh, you know, fewer media sources. Um, th there was more consistently a, a standard set of facts that the ABCs, NBC, CBS, you know, were sort of operating from. You had your news and then you had your opinion, right? It was very clearly, you know, differentiated. Mm -hmm. Nowadays with CNN, Fox, MSNBC, it's two totally different sets of facts. They or three sets of facts. They focus on completely different topics. Uh, and if that's not bad enough, you know, think about the impact of, of social media and, you know, furthering what, what I said a minute ago with, with the targeting that can happen. You know, in a campaign, you used to be able to, you know, maybe have one or two messages and you could you could sort of target. Now they are testing 50, 60, you know, 100 different messages to various constituents, uh, each candidate, and doing that with such precision because of social media. And more people are getting, you know, their news now on social media, especially Facebook, than everywhere else combined, basically. So the, the power uh, that's been unleashed with these platforms, I don't think is fully appreciated by uh, the Congress. Uh, and it certainly hasn't been legislated. And I think we're still at the beginning of trying to figure out how to do a better job at that. And not trying to limit anything here. We're just trying to you know, make sure people understand that what they're getting is very specific mm -hmm. to them. 
right? They are, they are just sort of pawns in this bigger game and, and being manipulated, whether they believe it or not, or realize it or not. And there's some, you know, great documentaries out there about it. And uh, it, it's pretty scary to think about what, what's been created recently. And David, one of the problems I think that we have, and this is something that I, I bring up, especially when we start to see the stories of misinformation and all of that. And look, this isn't to diminish that problem, but it's also incumbent upon the individual in this country to check right. to make sure the information they're consuming is correct. And it just doesn't seem like there's a push to say, hey, what are you doing? Are, are you looking at multiple sources to make sure you're consuming proper information? Are you just going with whatever makes you feel good in the moment? How much is personal responsibility? Something that, you know, obviously you can't legislate, but, but how much is that a part of potentially changing the polarization of the media, which will also go a long way in changing a lot of other things in this country? No, it's a significant part of it. Personal responsibility is because, look, we have we have an electoral system of, of political infrastructure and media platforms now that allow us to practice kind of the base instincts of human behavior, which is the go into a, a debate with only the intent to win and to fight, not to actually reach a compromise solution, right? It's about beating the other person, not about finding a solution. And that's a shift in modern politics. There's always been the fights and the debates, but it was always about reaching a solution, and that there was value in that solution. Today, all the value is in the fight and not in the reward. And look, part of it is on us. I think what will solve the media piece a little bit, and Ryan, you're a testament to this, you have to have a product that gets rewarded. We live in a for-profit capitalistic media mm -hmm. society. And if you put out a good balanced product that, that people engage with, I think the for-profit model could actually solve some of the this media platform subjectivity that we all otherwise support. I, I want to add something, though, on this, both on the media piece, but at large, this whole idea that Patrick and I speak to. Nothing that we're talking about is asking anybody to change their ideology. Sometimes people uh, are too quick to conflate bipartisanship with being moderate. Being moderate is an ideology, just like being progressive or conservative. What Patrick and I are talking about with these infrastructure issues and with media platforms is creating a platform that rewards bipartisanship. God bless you if you're progressive or moderate or conservative. Don't change that. That's, that's your conviction you fight for. What we want to see is a platform that rewards conservatives and progressives and moderates for finding a way to work together and to speaking to our core values as Americans that will move us all forward. Let me ask you about the lack of personal relationships in Washington, D.C. for a second. You've both been there, and for the average American, we don't know how things work up there. Uh, I'll start with you, Patrick. Why is that important uh, especially these days, seemingly more so than ever? It's critical, and, it, and it's so simple. But, you know, one of the points Dave and I always make is that all these issues are so connected together. If you fix one, the rest can start to fix themselves. And this is a really easy one. You know, 30, 40 years ago, members of Congress, if they got elected, would move to D.C. with their families, their spouses, right, that the kids would go to school together, and on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they'd get together uh, as friends, and maybe they're next-door neighbors of the opposite party, and they'd, you know, go have drinks and dinner and have a good time, play golf, whatever they did to socialize. It makes it that much tougher to go on the news the next night and, you know, talk trash about 
uh, you know, your, your opposite part, your, you know, your Republican counterpart or Democratic counterpart, uh, if you got dinner with them, right, or just had dinner with their, with their families. And it's so simple, but it's completely missing. And Republicans and Democrats don't do that anymore, period. I think people get that. But what's getting even worse is within the Republican Party or within the Democratic Party is each faction is hardly, you know, getting together. So, like, the progressives stick together and socialize. The moderates mm-hmm. stick together. The Tea Party, you know, whatever the group is. And so it's getting, you know, really bad. You know, they used to deliver uh, ice to the, to the members of Congress to their offices at, like, you know, four in the afternoon. What was that for? To make some drinks. And guess what? The members of Congress got together and they socialized and they drank. As crazy as it sounds, you know, bring back something like that. And maybe people start to talk and communicate and realize they're not as different as the media wants people to think they are. And real quick, David, I thought a good example of this and the problem that we're seeing here was with Senator Dianne Feinstein recently and Senator Lindsey Graham. All she did was offer him a compliment after he did a good job with the Amy Coney Barrett hearing and she got destroyed for it from progressives. Uh, that, that kind of ties right yeah. into what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, you know what I would suggest people just reflect upon for a moment is all politics doesn't happen on social media. It's the vast minority and it's home to our most partisan leanings. And I would also say for the highly engaged uh, people who follow politics, let's say you watch Fox or MSNBC or CNN on a normal night, they average at most about 15 million uh, viewers uh, between the three. Uh, in the last election, we had 135 million people vote. So we're talking about 10 to 15, maybe 20 percent of our voters who define the narrative that often criticize bipartisanship. I think the majority of the country would reward bipartisanship if we had a platform that incentivized more politicians to engage in it. Former Congressman David Jolly and Patrick Murphy, authors of the new book, A Divided Union, Structural Challenges to Bipartisanship in America. It was released yesterday. David, Patrick, thank you so much for spending some time talking about those issues. Really appreciate it. Hope to have you back on soon. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.